For Crypto Blood, and welcome to another kicking it session. Today, I've got Ted Seidel from BenchmarkAlert.com. I can't believe we're playing this song, Ted. <laughs> this is the song <laughs> that Mr. Ted has picked. Lizzo, Truth Hurts. My daughter loves this song. I didn't know what you were talking about. <laughs> How can you not know? <laughs> I'm getting old. You're getting younger. I'm getting old, I guess. I don't know, man. Evidently. <laughs> If I know music, you don't know. Something's wrong. Something is wrong. I've got I've got the boomers telling me what's hip now, guys. What is going on? So, uh, man, thank you so much for taking the time out to uh, join me today for a kicking it session. Um, I'm very excited. I um actually was up. I work really late at night, and um, I was up at like two or three o'clock and in my studio, and I saw your video come on. CNBC, you've got a new little segment on CNBC, and I'm like, hey, I, I've seen that guy before, and I first saw you on, I believe, uh, Chris Martinson, Peak Prosperity, and I really enjoyed what you were saying, very, in, like, just wonderful, crazy story, so if my audience, they don't know about you, Ted, could you tell us a little bit about your backstory, you grew up outside of the United States, your father was uh, murdered. Kind of just give us a little backdrop on that, if you will. Yeah, I was born in, in uh, the Caribbean, in Trinidad. My mother was okay. Trinidadian, and my okay. father was white American. Okay. And uh, I grew up all over the, the world. And mm. he, was, he disappeared in East Africa, in Uganda, East Africa, in 1971. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it it turned out that he had been uh, captured by Idi Amin, the uh, oh wow, the brutal dictator of Uganda. And it also turned out that that his his work was uh, he was he was studying care of the elderly uh, in Africa mm -hmm. uh, and teaching about it at the un local university, but he was also working with the CIA. And that was something that I didn't know about till after his death. Mm. And so at the time he was captured by Amin and, uh, uh, and disappeared. Um, he was working with the CIA to on information about how Idi Amin had captured uh, 300 soldiers in a local garrison town and had brutally murdered them. So I was 17 years old when my father disappeared. And um, because his body couldn't be found and nobody knew what had happened to him, his uh, life insurance wouldn't pay, his, his uh, estate couldn't be probated. And um, I had no place to, to go. So I w went to live with a relative and uh, over the course, there, there was an investigation done by the uh, Ugandan government, which determined that Idi Amin had captured and killed him. And then within a, a year or so, his life insurance would pay and Social Security pay, survive, paid survivors benefits. Um, so, so things started uh, freeing up after about a year, year and a half. But um, so that that was uh, 
what happened to me at age 17. I was uh, penniless and orphaned. And uh, that actually led me to, uh, to doing forensic investigative work, which uh, I've continued to do throughout my career for the last 35 years. Hmm. And the, so what happened you so you confronted your father's killers and like how did that how did that all pan out did it bring some closure for you i think you mentioned that uh you had um a, a team of lawyers help you with that at that time how did how did you even pay for all of that yeah there was there was a team of lawyers that helped me as soon as he disappeared there was a team of lawyers in washington that worked with me uh to uh to bring a lawsuit against the uganda government and to find out what happened to him and those lawyers worked on a contingency basis so okay we didn't have any money to pay them um so that that was uh with all within uh the first year or two they disappeared and we were able to get a settlement from the uganda government which enabled me to pay for college and then law school after that nice um but then in 1997, he disappeared in 1971. Okay. In 1997, I uh, went back to Uganda with the help of the CIA and the uh, Ugandan military and went and met the people who had killed my father. And we, we attempted to find the bodies and we dug the bodies out in a field. And so the, the, the closure, uh, that I had really was in 1997, which was what, uh, um, 25 years, 20, 26 yeah. years after the fact. And that was really my first forensic investigation. I, I often tell people that, uh, that the investigation of what happened to my father was the first real forensic investigation I did. And since then I've done over a trillion in forensic investigations of pensions and retirement plans. Yeah, so if you guys don't know, Ted is uh, the biggest whistleblower awardee in in history. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So, so have you you've you've uh, collected seventy five million, or actually more than that? Because seventy five was was just kind of the last two biggest cases, correct? Well, the total was seventy eight million. Seventy eight million. Yeah. Wow. Thirty so, million from the CFTC. The commodities regulators yep and then 48 million from the sec the securities regulators this is crazy so it's just funny how i guess you would you say that life kind of uh you know our experiences shape who we are and and that's kind of what happened with you that whole tragic what was a tragic thing for you at a young age ended up molding you and in helping you become the person that you are today. So it's, it's amazing how things kind of work out. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, there's no way that uh, had my father not been murdered when I was uh, 17, there's no way I would have become a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And there's no way that I would be doing the work that I've, that I've done for the last 35 years. Uh, amazing. So let's talk about, um, I want to first talk about this new book you've got coming out. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. I, you're doing it with a uh, co-author with Robert Kiyosaki and you were actually on his podcast, his show, his radio show 
um, what, maybe last year? Is that when you guys kind of first met and uh, shortly thereafter came up with this idea to do a book together? Or how did this book actually come about? Well, Robert, uh, Robert Kiyosaki is the author of the Rich Dad, Poor Dad yep. series of books. He's got a, I was recently at, at Barnes and Noble with my daughter and they, and I looked and there's an entire shelf of his books uh, there at Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Um, but um, Robert was giving a, uh, a seminar in Fort Lauderdale, Florida and taking a, a group uh, on a cruise for a week or so. So he called me and he said, could I come down to Fort Lauderdale and speak to his group before the cruise started? And I did that. Uh, in a sort of very informal kind of Oprah Winfrey style where they just handed me a microphone and said, walk around the audience and talk mm. to people. Okay. And so he, he was very interested in uh, pensions and had seen the work I had done. Like I said, I've done over a trillion in forensic investigations of pensions, um, including the state of Rhode Island, the state of North Carolina um, and cities all over the country. So he found that work very intriguing and said, let's work on a book together. Nice. So when Robert Kiyosaki, who sold 35 million books, asked you to work with him on a book, you say yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, he's like a legend in, in the whole uh, author industry uh, for sure. So that's awesome, man. I can't wait to, to read that one. Uh, I've read a couple of his books in the past and uh, it would be interesting to, to you know be able to read your side of it as well about the pension thing. And that's what I want to talk to you today about. Um, I'm a millennial myself and you know, my, my channel is more geared toward millennials. Uh, just trying to get them to fix, you know, wake up and see what is going on here. It is a mess. Um, and you, you, when we were on the phone, you brought up a good point about, you know, people say that the baby boomers, you know, got it all good and they're, they're all set up to, you know, take, take the cake. And, and you basically said, no, they're not. <laughs> and, you know, I, I knew, and in the back of my mind, I always knew that the baby boomers were in trouble. But for some reason, when you said that and, and kind of connected it with pensions, it, it just clicked like, yeah, they're not in a good position either. So we've got two spectrums, two side of the of the spectrum uh the the millennials are screwed and the baby boomers can you talk us through like this whole pension issue and is that is that the actual catalyst for our next financial crisis yeah well the the thing is that uh over the past 40 years um the promise that workers could retire with a pension has gradually been eroded. So the baby boomers got got hit with this uh, uh, attack on pension benefits. And instead, baby boomers were told, we're gonna offer, corporations are gonna offer you 401ks and you yeah. will do as well in a 401k as if, as you would have done in the pension. We're gonna take away your pension Mm -hmm. but we're going to replace it with a 401k and the 401k will provide you with the same financial and retirement security as a pension. Well, that's just not true and never was true. Uh, it never could be true. Um, so, the, so 
the great 401k exper uh, experiment, which was uh, inflicted on the baby boomers, uh, actually destroyed their retirement security. And now, mm. of course, the millennials are, are not being offered pensions either. They're, they're being offered 401ks still, even though the experience of the last 40 years has shown that uh, 401ks are a terrible uh, uh, way of, of providing for your retirement security. Yeah, they take so many fees from us um, and the returns just aren't aren't there and, and and we i mean we can talk a little bit about the fed and and you know like zero interest rates or near zero interest rates and what's that what that's doing to the whole market but you know the whole retirement thing right was supposed to be this three-legged stool right your pension your savings and what social security and we know that social security is bankrupt pretty much it's just brought it's it's an iou um so what 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 are baby boomers going to do? Well, ba the baby boomers are really uh, screwed. Your average baby boomer has uh, less than twenty five thousand dollars saved for retirement. So how are you going to retire on twenty five thousand? That's your average baby boomer. Many wow. baby boomers have nothing saved or a thousand dollars saved for retirement. So that means that they have nothing but social security when mm -hmm. they retire and your average social security benefit is something like fifteen hundred dollars a month i think it's a little less um so that's what you're talking about uh people retiring on and it's happening now you know the baby boomers many of them are retired now but you're not hearing their about their pain much uh and why why do you why do you why do you think that's the case well, I think I think a lot of baby boomers are ashamed of the fact that that they haven't uh, saved more, and a lot of them are going back to work. Like here in Florida, when I go to the grocery store, Publix, the people bagging my groceries are in their seventies. Mm -hmm. They're not high school kids. I mean, you know, some are high school kids, right? But so they're creeping back into these uh, menial jobs, whether they're Walmart greeters or uh, um, uh, baggers at, at supermarkets, but they're not really talking about how much pain they're in. Um, and the idea that, uh, the idea that baby boomers are enjoying, uh, you know, lavish retirement is just simply not true. Less than 1% of baby boomers have enough money saved to provide for their retirement security so, yeah i just i i guess again i'm just it's a skewed it's a skewed thing right because where i live i'm in michigan right so i'm in oakland county used to be one of the you know more wealthy counties in the country and all i see up here man is florida plates you know the boomers florida plates have got their benzes their bentley's <laughs> and uh -huh. they're and they're up <laughs> and they're up here driving around. I'm like, man, they're taking all they, they're they're taking all the money. That's <laughs> but you're right. Like the majority of the people are like my grandmothers, and and you know those are the people who are left, you know, holding nothing. And you know what is this all about? Is this this is a symptom of something? 
in my opinion, Ted. It's not the cause of this. This is a symptom to see that pensions are underperforming. We have little to no savings. Even if you have savings, you can't you can't yield anything. There's no yield on savings. Um, Social Security is going to be not even existent by the time I get to, to the, my retirement age. What do you think um, is the cause of all of this? Well, we've got a, you know, a huge income disparity problem okay. in this country that's only gotten worse. And the middle class, the upper middle class even, has been, uh, you know, attacked. Uh, yeah. So, so the wealth of the, uh, the lower income people, the middle class, and even how much money it takes to to live a middle-class lifestyle uh, has changed dramatically. Like for, for me and my family, we, were, we have been paying $3,000 a month for health insurance. Yeah. That's a hell of a lot of money, you know? That's a mortgage, that's a car payment, whatever. That's a mortgage and a car payment combined. So um, just to, you know, to live a middle-class lifestyle is uh, cost tremendous amount of money. So so to be able to pay 36,000 a year for health insurance, how much money do you have to earn? Right. 50,000, 100,000, you know. And then you got the politicians, you know, I know with my mom, you know, she, and I would tell her like, you know, this whole Obamacare thing is not a good look, I'm telling you. And then it finally kind of rolls out and She's not necessarily uh she's she wasn't a, a Republican or anything, but I was I was always kind of more leaning toward the that side of you know, just policy and how things are run from a political standpoint. But she's like, Yeah, this is uh my, my health insurance has doubled, almost doubled since Obamacare has been uh implemented. I said, I see I told you, like, there's no free lunch. So, you know, these these promises from both sides for sure but these promises that the, the politicians are offering you know someone has to pay for this stuff you know and i just feel like we're we're bankrupt as a country well i'll tell you one thing is that you know social security will have to survive because for many people it's all they've got if social security were to truly go bankrupt, you would have millions of people dying in the streets. Because if you're 72, 75 years old, and all you've got is a social security check, what happens if it goes, if it goes away? Well, you're going to be homeless. And before you know it, you're going to be sick. And before you know it, you're going to be dead. I mean, so social security cannot be allowed to go bankrupt. Um, it can be paired back by pushing the retirement age further and further up um, and by possibly cutting benefits, but the benefits are so skinny already, you can't really cut them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's very true. And, you know, what are your, so do you think that, um, I guess I want to ask you some, somewhat about, um, UBI, like, do you think universal basic income is, is going to be a solution that that's going to be implemented? It's going to have to be something like that. Do, well, do you think? 
I don't well, think it's the right solution, but you think that's going to be proposed? Or well, there's, there's certain things that, that uh, you know, choices that have to be made. And, and for, for, for example, do we get a national health care system? Mm -hmm. You know, people have to have health care. If you don't, if people don't have health care, they die. They, yeah. go, they die in the streets or they show up in, a, in a, an emergency room, which really is healthcare. It's just, it's, it's the least cost effective form of healthcare. But mm -hmm. so, you know, th th it's a big question for this country. Is it even possible to have uh, millions of Americans without health, health insurance? Uh, I don't think it's, it, it doesn't make any sense whether you're a fiscal conservative or a left-wing uh, liberal. Mm -hmm. a, a fiscal conservative knows that the the way to keep health care costs low is to have a universal health care system. Mm. Um, and allowing people to get really sick is not uh, fiscally uh, sound. You're, you're basically creating catastrophic uh, illnesses, uh, catastrophic conditions that are going to, that cost hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in, in the last uh, few months or years of a person's life. So, um, you know, I, th I think on the healthcare issue, uh, there needs to be some kind of intelligent, uh, uh, consensus on on what are we going to do and on in terms of the basic income there needs to be some kind of uh consensus on that hmm. um it's it's it, it's hard it can be hard for uh some fiscal conservatives to accept that um some of these social safety nets are uh, actually fiscally sound mm -hmm. uh, but you know the, yeah the, and, and we, we've got to we got to deal with the cost of 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 health care too i think that's a huge issue if we can bring the cost down um and and you know i think that has to do with maybe how we're just allowing these insurance companies and these uh these drug companies more so the drug companies should just charge whatever they want you know i think we get that under control at least the cost for having some type of universal medical uh, health insurance you know program would be uh less costly you yeah know I, I mean? as you mentioned i i've i've had a lot of success as a corporate uh securities whistleblower but before i die i'd like to have one good uh medical pharmaceutical whistleblower case under my belt oh, wow. because there is so much fraud in the uh in our healthcare system that uh and, and of course we see it uh the most here in florida because we have the highest elderly population okay and for some reason florida is always the uh, center for scamming but it's, hmm. it's, it, you know this is where madoff uh, ran a lot of his Ponzi scheme. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought yeah, he was. And, well, he was in. He lived in New York, but he 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 raised a lot of his money here in Palm Beach. Uh, oh, okay. 
Okay. But we've got a tremendous amount of medical fraud here. Almost every medical fraud either originates or has some connection with Florida. So I mean, you look at like insulin insulin prices. Insane. These drug these drug companies are just it makes no sense. It really does. For us to be a so-called first world country, it makes no sense the way these prices are. But um, I guess we can pivot toward, I really want to dive into this whole, your forensics thing, man. That really intrigued me. Like, what's, what's the current state of pensions? I mean, is the last interview I heard from you, I think, was the Chris Martinson interview uh, on peak prosperity and you were talking about like calpers um their their issue you've got illinois kentucky you're talking about kentucky have those have those pension issues gotten worse since last year i'm assuming so but are you keeping track with with what what's going on there yeah well we have across the country about four trillion dollars in uh state and local pensions mm -hmm. so these are pensions set aside for state and local government workers and these pensions are are being uh profoundly mismanaged i call it gross malpractice generally practice <laughs> so all i've i've looked at over a trillion of these pensions there's over four trillion in them but one of the things i see everywhere whether it's the corporate pensions or the government pensions, state and local pensions, is that the pensions are being uh, grossly mismanaged. Wall Street is looting pensions and the people running the pensions haven't got a clue uh, of what's really happening. So that's a, that's a huge problem that has led to many of the state pensions being, I think over half of them are financially uh, struggling. Mm -hmm. And over half of them have cut workers' benefits, retirement benefits mm. in the last 10 years. So it's a, that is a, a very big problem. They've, they've got to see the, the issue though, right, Ted? I mean, don't they have these like uh, actuary tables or whatever, and they have to hit those numbers every year as far as performance and they I do mean, but the actuaries are hired by the pensions to say the things the pensions want them to say <laughs> you know? so like you have in detroit in oh detroit, man yeah i was going to touch on that yeah in detroit the actuaries said the pensions were funded uh reasonably well and then when the bankruptcy hit these the actuaries the actuary that the uh, I think the uh, the receiver or hired or a new actuary point is a new actuary was hired who mm -hmm. concluded that the pensions were far worse off than the previous actuary. Mm. So um, some cities and states get actuaries to uh, pump up their funding levels, mm -hmm. <clears throat> make them sound and look better funded. And then sometimes when they're negotiating benefit cuts, they hire actuaries to make the pension look worse. Ah, okay. So one of the chapters in the book that Robert and I have written, uh, Who Stole My Pension, is called, uh, your, one of the chapters is, your, 
your your pension is lying about how well funded it is hmm. and it pensions can lie either way if they want a bailout from the federal government they can hire an actuary who says that they're in deep trouble if they want to bail out from uh the state or or, or they want to cut benefits they can you know make things look worse if they want to uh convince workers they're well run uh they can hire actuaries to make them look better funded than they really are so that that's one of the chapters in the book this is called your pension is lying about how well funded it is another chapter is your pension is lying about its investment performance another one is that your pension is lying about the fees it pays another chapter is your pension is lying about the risks it takes and these are things, these are observations that I've found across the nation in the trillion of investigations I've done. I've never seen a pension fund uh, admit to the public that its performance sucks. They're all good. Every pension says, you know, <laughs> we're up 3%. Yeah, you're up 3%, but the market was up 10. But this right. is, so you'll right. never find a pension admitting that their performance is terrible. Every pension, in, every pension in the country lies about how much it pays Wall Street in fees. In Rhode Island, I went up there and I said, the pension is disclosing 10 million in fees. That's a lie. Within six months, the pension changed its disclosure to read 80 million. Oh my God. So they went eight times greater. The real fees were eight times greater than the fees they were disclosing. And the pensions lie about the risks they take. They claim that hedge funds are investing in crazy, risky investments like hedge funds and claim that, that they're uh, a way of reducing risk. Well, hedge funds don't reduce risk. They, no, not at all. Especially like in this environment. On a fire. Yeah, like, um, again, it's so many moving parts. But one thing about the hedge fund thing is like the... The Federal Reserve, with their near interest, zero interest rate policy, um, they're essentially driving everyone into index, like in the index funds are outperforming the hedge funds. So, Absolutely. <laughs> so, so and, and, but you've got the pensions, they're putting their money with the hedge funds. Well, this is one of the, this is one of the things, that's another chapter in the book. It's called Your Pension Thinks It's, Pensions think they're smarter than Warren Buffett. They're not. <laughs> so Warren Buffett tells pensions, Warren Buffett has told pensions across the country, do not invest in hedge funds. He even made a million dollar bet that hedge funds would underperform the S&P 500 index. He's told pension funds to, to invest in the S&P 500 index. So what have the pension funds across the nation done? Invested in hedge funds and ignored Warren Buffett. They think they're smarter than Warren Buffett, and they're not. Hmm. Wow. So um, I'm sure you, you're doing some investigating on pensions or whatnot. I'm sure you can't talk about what you're doing now, but do you see in the next six, six to 12 months, do you see one of these states needing some type of bailout? Well, I think they're, you know, 
they need a bailout. Kentucky, Illinois, these states need a bailout. Um, I don't know what's going on right now with Puerto Rico. That that was pension fund that that essentially failed, went bankrupt. Um, actually, the first American pension fund to attempt to go bankrupt was like eight years ago. It was Saipan. Which and is Guam. There is an American government pension fund for the work. It's a territory. Right. So it was a, uh, and that was an attempt to go bankrupt like 10 years ago. So they, Kentucky and these other states need a federal bailout. There will have to be a federal bailout. What about CalPERS, California? That's the biggest pension, correct? Or is it Texas? California is the biggest pension, but California is, is, uh, has got a lot of money in it. Uh, okay. it, it is, uh, colossally mismanaged. I actually wrote to the CalPERS board uh, like five years ago telling them I was aware of uh, problems in their uh, portfolio and they said they weren't interested in hearing about it. They had mm. uh, no interest in in uh, meeting with me to, to hear what my uh, expert opinions were. Uh, so, so CalPERS is uh, is the largest pension in the country. It's um, it's in a state that enjoys uh, healthy population growth, uh, like here in Florida. But it is it is terribly mismanaged. But it's not on a critical list. The critical lists are the states like uh, Kentucky and Illinois, Connecticut. Um, there there are many you can find if you search the internet. Your listeners can check uh, the top 10 worst funded pensions in the country, the top 10 best, and there's a rating. Every, every state pension fund is rated by somebody uh, in terms of how well funded it is. So what is your prediction on which, which one or you don't have to give us which one, but in the next 12 to six to 12 months do you see one like failing or is it even worse than that sooner than that well kentucky is a mess and uh the um there's been a you know a new governor uh elected there but uh kentucky i would say is the one that is most urgent right now. okay um illinois has done a incredible job of uh of, of, of ignoring the problem. I mean, everybody in the state's talking about it, has been talking about it for the last 10 years, um, but there's absolutely no interest in really rolling up your sleeves and figuring out what went wrong and how to fix it. Uh, most of the time when you see around the nation pension reform or pension fixes, there has been no forensic investigation done to determine what went wrong. My personal mantra is every dead pension deserves an autopsy. Mm -hmm. So you can't fix a pension without knowing what went wrong, because right. if you simply put more money into a leaking bucket to a mismanaged pension, it's going to squander that money as well. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I encourage people uh, to 
if, if you're in, uh, work for a corporation and your pension has failed, if you work for a state or a county and your pension is, is, is failing and you're being asked to take a cut in benefits or lose all your benefits, you should demand a forensic investigation to explain to you what happened. How mm -hmm. did this thing go so horribly wrong? Interesting. Yeah, that's and, uh... and forensic investigations almost never happen. There have been, I met with the federal government, the PBGC, uh, 10 years ago. The government had taken over 4,500 failed pensions at that time. And not once had a forensic investigation been done. Uh, even though the law requires an investigation, they had never done it once. Um, so if you find yourself in a situation where your pension is being taken from you, either entirely or in part, you should organize and demand a forensic investigation because uh, any so-called fix to the problem without understanding what the problem is, is doomed to fail. So, yeah, so this is, uh, that's interesting. I, and I totally agree. Um, so basically we've just got wall street, just robbing us, robbing us blind. They're robbing us on the pension side. They're robbing us on the 401k side. They're even robbing us on the saving side because they're in bed with the fed, uh, to, you know, get them to keep interest rates low so that they can borrow in corporate debt. They can borrow money and buy their own stock. Like, it's just crazy. I don't understand why more people aren't aren't upset. Like it's it's insane that uh, that pensions are paying up to six seven percent a year to be in hedge funds when it is well known, well established. Warren Buffett and Jack Bogle and others have said it repeatedly that index funds that charge one basis point, one one hundredth of a percent, mm -hmm. far outperform hedge funds that charge six or even nine percent a year. So, given how well known it is, how is it that a quarter of our of our state and local pension assets are in hedge funds and other what are called High risk, high cost alternative investments. They've got to be. They've got to be being bought. They they have to yeah. be bought. It's what we call politicization of the investment process. Okay. Investment decisions aren't being made on the merits. They're being made due to political concerns. Who's giving wow. to whose political campaign? And now, uh, with Citizens United, Wall Street guys can give uh, into dark pools of money, and, and so nobody knows who's giving what. Well, now, what citizen? Know, what citizens united? I'm not. I'm not familiar with that. That that was the the Supreme Court case that ruled that um, that donations to uh, political candidates could be essentially unlimited. Um, oh, wow. and so that's changed uh, the political landscape dramatically. But we know across the country that. Um, Pension funds that 
say by analogy, a pension fund that could be paying a penny for a paperclip is paying a dollar for a broken paperclip. Why? It's so obvious that what is being done is wrong and the results are, are, are profound. The damage is profound. Um, but it's happening all over the country. Hedge funds are paying uh, fees hundreds of times greater than they need to for underperforming investments. One of the uh, tenets of my work is that um, where you have corruption of the investment process or kickbacks, let's say, mm -hmm. the damage is always far more than the kickback. Yeah. So if I pay a, a crooked politician a million dollars to hire me to manage a hundred million, and then I do a shitty job, I lose 10 million. What's the damage? The million dollar kickback or the 10 million I've lost? Right. The dam so when you have corruption of the investment decision-making process, the damage is always much greater than the kickback. Wow, that's uh, that's interesting. And so this whole um, ERISA topic, um, as far as them being regulated, so pensions don't have to be or aren't regulated. Is that correct? Pensions. There's no uh, oversight. State and local pensions in the United States are not subject to the federal law known as ERISA, the Employee Retirement Income Security Act. They're exempt from ERISA. So the only regulation they have is state and local regulations, which it, I call it's a thin patchwork quilt of state and local regulations. And most of the issues that a pension local pension would have are not addressed in any law anywhere. So can the city of Detroit pensions invest in uh, derivatives? There's probably no law in Detroit that answers that question. Mm -hmm. uh, so so the, there's no comprehensive federal law governing these pensions and there's no comprehensive state law only a patchwork quilt of, you know, of state regulations that is not comprehensive at all. So in the, in the case with here up in, uh, in, in my city, Detroit, what happens when they do like a restructuring as they did here? Um, things get written down and, and what happens now? I'm, I'm sure they're still not performing the way they should be with the pensions. So how does that, like, what happens now with, like, in the case with Detroit? Well, again, if there was no autopsy done of the dead or dying pension, there was a pension reform package put, pushed through without any forensic investigation into what went wrong. So whenever you have reform without an investigation, the reform will fail. So gotcha. the, the Detroit pensions, I can assure you, are still being grossly mismanaged, mm -hmm. gross malpractice, generally practiced, um, and money is, is being squandered, lost. So mm. um, whether workers will receive their benefits, they've been promised over the next few years, 
depends on if enough additional money was put in such that all the money that's being wasted uh, doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. But unless there's been a surplus of money put in, uh, benefits will have to be cut again in the future because the money that was put in is not being properly invested. Wow. So um, what should pensioners do? Um, and also what should people like my generation, millennials, what, how should we prepare for what is not going to be there for us? Well, um, the, what pensioners have to do is, is they have to watch their pensions like hawks. They cannot sit back and assume that any promises that were made to them will actually be fulfilled. So sitting back and trusting that everything you've been promised is coming to you is not an option. Mm. It's far, that's far too risky to do. You've got to watch your pension closely, read the book, Who Stole My Pension, where I give people the things they need to watch for. Um, so it is critical that they watch their pension because the people who are supposed to be watching it are not doing a good job. And younger workers, one of the key things for younger workers is to not accept the idea that 401ks are or will ever be a viable retirement strategy. 401ks can be improved by cutting fees, by prohibiting certain uh, unethical practices that are currently allowed in 401ks. But as they stand today, 401ks are not a uh, effective retirement um, savings vehicle. So uh, despite anything you may hear from Wall Street or employers that, that this uh, plan is, is going to work for you, chances are it won't unless you uh, proactively uh, get involved. Yeah, buddy, a buddy of mine and I, we were uh, we were actually starting a, a we were founding a company that was looking to tackle that. We're both millennials, and we just ran into so much red tape and just trying to drive the cost down for individuals to kind of have and manage their own four hundred one ks because you can do that through like a simple four hundred one k. There are different options for sole proprietors uh the you know easier less expensive way but the cost is just they they have it structured in a way where it's just they basically make you kind of pile into the system that they have set up for you already yeah you know, they, where they, they siphon they, off all your money yeah they basically push you into high cost retail investment yeah funds. but the other thing i mean millennials need to really understand that wall street is not your friend Right. Wall Street, the solution to every problem you have, according to Wall Street, is to pay them more money. Mm -hmm. So if your pension is, is underperforming, the solution is pay us more money. If your 401k is underperforming, we'll, we'll, we'll add analytics and we'll add other products to add additional costs that will make it perform better. But then, yeah. it, but it, of course, it doesn't. 
Yeah. So uh, one of the things that you should understand very early on is Wall Street is not your friend. And be suspicious of any um, sales pitches or you hear. Yeah. Well, uh, th definitely uh, appreciate you coming on, Ted, and we'll have to have you come back on after the book uh, comes out. It's uh, be available, it looks like, uh, on January 14th, this uh, coming new year. Guys can get it probably on Amazon. Is that correct? Yes, it's still, we're still working on uh, the July 14th, uh, January 14th uh, launch date. And uh... I'm going to definitely get this for my, my parents. For sure, and uh, and if you're part of a you know a group like a, you know IBM workers or mm -hmm. Amazon workers, you know it's something that if the people in your pension or 401k read this book and all agree, it makes sense, and then right. go to the company and say we need to look, we need to focus on these issues. You can change your retirement plan. You can prove it. Mm -hmm. It, they're very concrete ideas in the book um, and so I'd encourage you all if you're a part of a retirement plan a pension a 401k get the other people in your plan to read the book mm -hmm. and hopefully agree on what needs to be done because you can then mobilize and talk to your employer about making those changes yeah, so guys, at your corporate Christmas party uh, this year, where you have to put on your fake face and smile and laugh, you should hand them this book. <laughs> well, yeah. it won't be out yet, but uh, give them an IOU or something, a gift card to, to get this book, because uh, it's necessary. It definitely is necessary. Yeah, uh, and, and the core things of the book are that if you want to improve pensions, you've got to improve transparency. You should have full transparency. Yeah. You should have, you should lower costs, like going into index funds, lower your costs. You should, um, and by doing that, you will avoid risky investments like hedge funds and uh, um, other alternative investments. So these are, these are some of the, you should avoid conflicts of interest and uh, which we talk a lot about in the book. Um, so there's very concrete things there that, that can be done. Um, yeah, if the Fed is going to continue with this direction, which I can't, I can't see them going any other course but lower uh, interest rates towards zero. It's going to force. Um, it's actually going to force everyone into index funds. Like index funds are going to outperform hedge funds. Is it's going to continue to be that uh, that 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 direction. So I don't think hedge funds are are the way to go. You can't beat the market when in this in this type of environment. Yeah. So the, the the four things the four things we say in the book that you need to do are let me say them again because I, I didn't get complete the list. It's uh, insist on full transparency. Um. So you would you would tell your employer you know, that, that the pension has to be, or the retirement plan has to be fully transparent, has to be low cost. All the investments have to be liquid, means you can sell them at any time. And they all, and the fourth thing is, investments have to be readily, have readily ascertainable market values. So you wanna get away from investments 
Mark that who knows Mark. what they're worth and whose values may be inflated. And that's what these hedge fund guys, and a lot of these alternative investment guys do. They claim things are worth more. They claim hard to value assets are actually worth more than they are. So if you follow those four things, transparency, lower cost, liquidity, and um, uh, I've forgotten the fourth one. Mark to um, mar market value. And, 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 and readily ascertainable market value, then you've, you've potentially vastly improved your pension or your 401k plan. Nice, nice. Well, again, Ted Seidel, I appreciate you coming on today. We'll definitely have to have him back on, guys. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe below and check out his website. Uh, we've got Benchmark Alert, but he's, he's also got one called Seidel Law uh, Whistleblower. It's Seidel Whistleblower Forensics.com. You guys can check that site out if you need to hire Mr. Seidel for your knees i'm pretty sure he's pricey now <laughs> but uh hey he may be able to help your company or your state so well definitely... for the price of the book you can get 90 percent of my advice so there you go 18.99 or i believe the price is or something like that yeah i think i saw it, it yeah 18.95 so 18.95 you can get most of uh most of what you need to know about my insights Again, guys, the um, check him out, Ted Seidel. He's again the whistleblower that has been awarded the most money ever in history, which is insane. We'll have to talk more about like laws and things like that that are trying to change that. And the next time you come on, I've I've heard about this. They're trying to change the laws where whistleblowers won't be able to make any money. Um, so we'll have to talk about that, Ted, next time. Absolutely. My, my position is if you can make a billion dollars ripping people off, you should be able to make a billion dollars keeping people from being ripped off. I, I agree. I agree. It's your boy Crypto Blood. I'm going to rock out to this Lizzo. I can't believe <laughs> this is something Ted requested. You got to get with it. All I got to get. <laughs> We're out of here, people. Holla. <laughs>